We are people of the possible God. You're going to hear that theme over and over and over and over this coming year. We are people of the possible God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. With God, nothing is impossible and nothing will be impossible. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. We are a people of the possible God. Do you guys believe that, by the way? We have a chance, again, this year, in a fresh way, to live like we believe that. Truth be told, I'm not certain many of us live that way in 2020. I have a hunch that many of us didn't believe that, even though we've been taught that. Some of us know the truths of Scripture. We've heard them over and over again. We've heard that God parted the Red Sea. We've studied it. We've heard it. We've heard that the Jordan River was parted and the Ark of the Covenant was passed. People passed through. We've heard the stories of manna coming down from heaven to feed the Israelites. We've heard of quail that would show up in the day to feed them. We heard of the fire by night that would come and show them the way. We heard about the sun standing still. We've read it. We even have read and studied and celebrated Easter. Some of you have celebrated 50, 60 times. Yet do we really believe that the same God that did all those things is the same God as we worship today? If it is so, then we should live reflecting that we believe that. We shouldn't still be in the same place, hearing the same stories, repeating them over and over in our minds, yet nothing has changed in our walks. 2020 was a good indicator of what we believed about God. Did we walk in faith or did we cower in fear? This is our chance to believe that God can do the impossible. In fact, some of us are still in kindergarten in our faith. Some of us haven't moved past the point of salvation. Some of us are seniors in high schools knowing the truth when we are in grade school. We were more in love with Jesus. We were more in tune with Jesus as grade school than we are as seniors in high school. Some of us have been saved. I've been saved 55 years. Still knowing the truth, but it does nothing to us. We're still in kindergarten in our faith. And when you witness it, it's foolishness. And every once in a while, we need to remind it that we need to move beyond kindergarten with all that we know and all that we've been taught so that we can see God do impossible things. But honestly, some people who call themselves Christ followers are still in kindergarten. Let me show you what I mean. Take a look at this. Good morning, Reagan. Good morning. Good morning, Madison. Good morning, Johanna. Good morning, Johnny. People are always asking me why. Why do the same thing every year? Why not move on? But I say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Johnny? Present. I'm comfortable. I know the routine. And I don't want to brag, but... I'm pretty popular around here. I do really well in sports. No! No, not my house! Well, I'm just very successful here. 
Why would I go and mess that up by graduating? A B. But I mean, in the first grade, I may not know all the answers. D. D. Dog. E. The hours are longer. I hear they don't even have nap time. I mean, I just don't see the upside. Then first grade leads to second grade, second to third. It's really good. Then you're in high school reading boring books with no pictures. Three, four, five. But he was still hungry. Next thing you know, people expect you to get a job and give up summer vacation. <laughs> no, sir. I think I found my niche. Thank you very much. Home sweet kindergarten. Besides, I mean, what if I failed first grade? How humiliating would that be? Nope, just don't think I could handle that kind of embarrassment. That was not a good choice. Very disappointed. You know what, that's funny, I don't care who you are. But let's be real. Are you any different in your walk with Jesus? You've heard all the stories. You've heard them since you've been in grade school. Some of you, all you know, you've spent your whole life in church. But has it changed your behavior? Have you stepped out in faith? Would, would your parents say, man, you are growing in your faith in Jesus Christ? I've noticed a difference since second grade. Now that you're in eighth, ninth, tenth, you're graduating from high school. Boy, you, you, you've taken these steps of faith for Jesus Christ. You did when you were in junior high, or you did when you were first married, and now you've been married for 30 years. And Boy, that's a great story, Pastor Jim. I love, love, love the story about how, how God parted the Red Sea. But if the Word of God hasn't changed your life and changed the way you live, then you're just doing kindergarten over and over again. This could be the year that I could come back next year and say, I pray that you're not in the same spot that you were a year ago. Can I ask you a really personal question? Are you really in a different place with Jesus right now than you were a year ago? Or has this year taken your legs out from underneath of you? Would people say, would your kids say, would your parents say, would your friends, coworkers, bosses, coaches say, man, I've seen you grow more in your walk with Jesus this year than ever. Or would they say, man, you're not much different than that kid in kindergarten. You see, if the word of God doesn't change us, and if we don't put our faith into action, then we will never be the people that God designed us to be. And we will never see him do impossible things and we will never be able to say it's possible for our God. I am going to show you an account today and some of you, you have taught your kids this, you have read this for 25, 30 years, you have heard this over and over and over and over and over and this story, you could come up and tell me the details of this story yet it hasn't changed your life. My hope is that this year is the year that we truly walk in the power of our God. 
grab your Bibles and turn to a very familiar story. And turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to read verses 4 through 11. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read it out loud. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verses 4 through 11. Would you stand with me here in the auditoriums and those of you who are tuning in from at home online? 1 Samuel chapter 17, would you read it with me? Children, youth, and adults, read it. Open up your mobile devices, read it out loud. This is the word of God. Maybe for the first time you'll read it and it'll impact your heart. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verses 4 through 11, would you read it with me? Ready, read. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale of armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. You may have a seat. Our problem is not how big the giant is. It's how big we believe our God is. Listen to me. There is no one or nothing that can stand against our God. You have heard me say that, and I've been here 25 years. I probably have told you that a thousand times. But the truth is this. Our problem is not how big the giant is. It's how big we believe our God is. As we look at this giant, just for facts, he's nine feet, nine inches tall. To give you a point of reference, He would stand under a basketball hoop and he'd be three inches from the rim. Now that would be a center, wouldn't it? He could literally dunk with his teeth. That's how big he is. His armor weighs 125 pounds. So literally the weight of his armor is the weight of a young kid. His weaver's rod, they say, on the tip weighs 17 pounds. Just picture a 17-pound barbell hitting you upside the head. That's Goliath. He is huge by every stretch of the imagination. But what often gets lost in this story, and it did for me on flannel graph in that musty Sunday school classroom years ago, is that he had a shield bearer with him that came out in front of him. And so this armor bearer comes out, and what's an armor bearer do? The armor bearer would hold the shield that would protect Goliath. Now, the last time I checked, it would take a pretty big man to be able to reach up high enough to cover the face of a 10-foot-tall man. So not only was Goliath big from Gath, his armor bearer was a huge dude too. So the two of them walk out, and they defy anyone to stand and fight against them. 
verse 4 says this, that Goliath was a champion. It's critical that you see that. That gets lost sometimes in the translation. But what it means is he had a record. And his record was he had fought before and he had won. He had fought before and he had won again. He was the undefeated champion of men. And when he walked out, he was the champion of the men of the Philistine camp. He had a record that said, I have beaten every single person I have ever faced. However, he was man's champion. But David is about to find out something that we already know, and you know, and he knows, it's why he walked out, that he had a champion named God. And God was the undefeated champion of the world. And no one can stand against God. And if you walk in his power, not even a giant can stop you. I want you to look at the language of Goliath because it's important to look in the Hebrew. Verse 8, I want you to see what Goliath says. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? He says, Am I not a what? Now, the Hebrew is important here. If I was to translate, and I will, literally from the Hebrew, it doesn't say, am I not a Philistine? It has an article in front of Philistine. And so literally it should be translated, am I not the Philistine? It's how all the crazy Ohio State fans say it. (laughs) The Ohio State. As if they're more important than any other university. And so Goliath is coming out and saying, the Philistine, as if to say, no one could ever defeat me. So he comes out, and then he says this in verse 10. Or actually back up to verse 8. He says, am I not the Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? And then he says, choose a what? What's the word? Man. Verse 10. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a what? Okay. Same thing. Genesis 3. When Adam sinned, what were God's words? Where is the man? Where is the man? Where is the man? And God has been crying that out even this day. Choose for me a man. Show me a man. And the Philistine was saying, where is the man? who will stand in the power of his mighty God and fight. In my 59 years of life, here's what I know to be true. The cowardly people of God are always the biggest obstacle to the mission of God. Let me explain. I'll repeat. The cowardly people of God 
are always the biggest obstacle to the mission of God. God's mission has already been won. God has already promised victory. God has already given breakthrough. God can do impossible things in our lives. But in order for the, it to take place, we have to step out and believe that. We have to be ready to follow through and do that. We are the ones that stop the mission of God for our lives. Why? Because we can be some of the biggest cowards on planet Earth. Process that for a few moments with me. Giants beat us not because they are big, but because they make us feel small. They don't beat us because they're big, but they make us feel small. It begins here. And the enemy comes at us and said, you can never beat that team. You could never win. Your marriage could never be. You could never accomplish that dream. And it's not because the giant is big. It's because we believe that we are small. Yet when our gaze is set on the giant, instead of our possible God, we will hide in fear. That's what happens. We focus more on the obstacle. We focus more on the trial. We focus more on the difficulty instead of setting our gaze on our God. And so all these men, all of David's brothers, all of the men of Israel, there was not one man for 40 days that could look beyond Goliath and look at their God and remember the same God that parted the Red Sea, the same God that helped them cross the Jordan River, the same God that made the sun stand still, the same God that came through with the food is the same God that would meet them in this hill in the Valley of Elah and defeat the enemy. You see, it's in these moments that we have to remember who we are. You want to know where fear comes from and what happens? Fear comes from our conditioning, from our concealing and our controlling. Fear comes from our conditioning, from our concealing and our controlling. Process that, that for a few moments with me. Trusting God and walking by faith means being prepared to trust God where we are not permitted to see. So at some point in this life we call our faith journey, we have to condition ourselves to stand and fight. Listen to me, you're not going to magically show up one day and do this great exploit for God if you haven't already conditioned yourself, prepared yourself with steps along the way that make you into the person you can be against the giant. See, David, David conditioned himself in the pasture. And you're going to read in this text, what did David do? He was a shepherd. And when a lion would come and a bear would come, we can read in the text that there was a time that a lion came and it took one of the sheep and put it in his mouth. It says David grabbed the, the lion by the mane and literally took the sheep out of its mouth and he slew the lion. And it says that he killed bears. So in his conditioning prior to game day, he had prepared himself to face the giant. It, David literally, lions and tigers and bears. Oh yeah, let's go Goliath. 
He had already prepared himself for that moment. You cannot be ready for game day if you haven't conditioned yourself prior to that. So we need to prepare ourselves. It's the faith steps you take today that allow you to face this faith step tomorrow. It's in our conditioning. But you know what happens instead? Fear conceals us. We want to hide. We want to pull away. We want to stay out of the faith step journeys because we want to control what happens to us. And let me ask you a question. How many times in 2020 were you trying to control the outcome of your life? How many times in 2020 were you the one trying to protect your future? How many times in 2020 were you conditioning yourselves with steps of faith and stepping out in faith to prepare you for the giant today? Fear conceals. Fear makes you want to control. Fear is not the posture or the position of a redeemed follower of God. As you look back over 2020, where has your faith journey taken you? You see, you can't expect to be in game shape in your faith if you haven't spent time exercising your faith. You see, we understand that from a physical perspective, don't we? If I want to get strong physically, what do I do? I'll go and I'll work out in the gym. And I'll take dumbbells or barbells and bench press and I'll do squats. And I start out at a lower weight. And so what happens? When I continue to condition my body to get stronger, I might do more reps to stay toned. If I want to get strong and build bulk, I'll add weight. But day and out in the gym, taking these steps of conditioning makes me stronger so that 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 years, 20 years down the road, I'm stronger because of my conditioning, because I've exercised my body. It's the same with our faith. You cannot step out and expect to drain 10 threes for Jesus if you haven't spent time in the gym exercising with him. You have to exercise your faith. You won't magically step out and face a giant. See, a man of God or woman of God doesn't happen because you say, I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to be a woman of God. I'm going to be a godly husband. I'm going to be a godly wife. I'm going to be a godly youth. I'm going to be uh, be a godly kid. It just doesn't happen because you say it's the thousands of conditioning decisions that you make every day to become that person. David will soon enter the scene and his courage came with him for he had prepared, listen to me, he had prepared and conditioned himself in the desert by killing lions and bears and tigers, oh yeah. His faith didn't magically appear because he chose for it to. Is the posture Answer this question. Is the posture, the position, the practice of faith in your life right now representing well that you are a people of the possible God? Answer that question. Would someone look at your life and your posture and your conditioning and your position? Are you concealing and controlling? Like, I got, I got my life under control. Stay away. I, I, I got I to gotta conceal. I got to control. Uh, 
Or are you taking steps of faith and you are exercising your faith and you are conditioning yourself to be the man or woman of God that can face the giant in the valley of Elah? When's the last time your kid's dad said that you're the most courageous man I've ever met? Singles, when's the last time your classmate said, dude, or said to you ladies, you're the most courageous woman I've ever met? Husbands, when's the last time your wife said, you're the most courageous husband I've ever met? Wives, when's the last time your husband said to you, you're the most courageous woman I've ever met? When has courage been attached to your name? When's the last time? You see, we don't talk about this much, but the reality is this, that when we don't have courage, we're cowards. And the Bible tells us what God does with the cowardly. And to be quite frank, it's not addressed enough. It's why all through Scripture... God reminds us to do not fear, to do not be afraid. It's why in Joshua 1.9 it says, be strong and courageous. And do not be afraid, for your Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Turn to Revelation and keep your finger here in Revelation chapter 21. There's a lot of things to be known for. And there are some things that you don't want to be known for. And it's your choice. Revelation chapter 21, John is looking at the island. He's on the island of Patmos. He's having a vision, and he's trying to describe heaven. And he's describing the new heaven and the new earth. And he's showing us who will enter the new heaven and the new earth. And so he gives us this list of people who will not enter and experience the kingdom of heaven, but will experience a fiery lake of burning sulfur called hell. Look at Revelation chapter 21, and I want you to follow along in verse 8. It says, but the what? What's the word? But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery what? What's it say? Lake of burning what? This is the second death. You know, I understand, look at this list. I can see why the unbelieving would go there. I can see why the vile, I can see why the murders, I can see why the sexually immoral, I can see why those who practice magic arts, I can see why those who choose another God, and I can see why those that are habitual liars will be consigned to the fiery lake. But John says that even the cowardly, those who conceal, and control and hide in their faith instead of working it out, conditioning themselves and walking in the power of God. Billy Graham said something years ago, and when I, I read this already, and it's the third time I read it today, and, and I know I'm going to read again, and I'm already getting goosebumps on my back. It's such a powerful statement, and when I hear it, I want to run through a brick wall for Jesus Christ. Because this is the kind of man that I long for, and women that I long for us to be. 
Billy Graham said this years ago. He said, when a brave man takes a stand for Jesus, the spines of others are stiffened. Why? Because they see this man walking in the power of God courageously. David is about to be a brave man and stand in the valley and you know what's going to happen? Because of his bravery, because of his courage, he's going to stiffen the spines of every other Israelite that's there. Courage comes from having something more valuable to you than life that you know death cannot threaten. Courage comes from having something more valuable to you than life that you know death cannot threaten. Look at verse 12 of this story. It says this, Now David was the son of Ephratite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war, the firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third was Shema. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistines came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. Let me know that they're okay. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistine. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of the shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. The situation seems impossible. Courage does not come from our own strength. It comes from the strength of our God. Let me remind you of a very powerful truth from God's word that's so applicable to our lives today in 2021. Peter would write this many years later after this account. And just listen to this truth. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 1 3. Peter said, his divine power, God's divine power, one translation has unlimited riches. His divine power, his unlimited riches has given us everything we need. Has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything you and I need. Unlimited resources. Divine riches. God has already given us. We, we own it. We possess it. So anything that you and I have to face, we have everything we need 
to do the impossible with our possible God. Let me explain. When I was young and dumb, and I'm old and dumb sometimes too, but when I was young and dumb, about 20 years old, 21 years old, I was meeting with one of my mentors, and praise God along the way, I've had men pour into my life, and if you were cut me open, I'm much like these mentors. But he took me out for lunch, and we went out to lunch to this diner, and he says, hey, I'll, I'll pay for it, Jim, and I said, thanks, and he pulled out his wallet from the back of his jeans, and it was a bifold, not like this one here, and he opened it up, and it was just stuffed full. In fact, when he put it back in his pants, it was clean out to here. And as he opened it to get the cash out to pay for the meal, checks fell out of his wallet because he was pulling dollars out with it. And when I say checks, 10, 15 checks. And they fell out, and they were written to his name, addressed to him, and many of them were months old. One, two, three, four, five, six months old. And so I did what most dumb 20-year-olds do. I asked him, dude, what are you doing with all those checks in your wallet? Like, they're not doing you any good there. Why don't you cash the checks? And he looked at me as I asked that question, and he said, I haven't had a need for them. And I don't know if you know, but in some cases, you can't have a check for too long, and it actually expires. (laughs) And as I began to think about this week, it crossed my mind that God has given us a checkbook with Everything we need. And a check isn't good unless you're able to write it and there's resources to back the check. And my Bible says, and your Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 3, that God has given us a blank check for everything we need. And all we have to do is cash the check. You see where I'm going? You got the checkbook. It's written in your name, stamped with the blood of Jesus Christ. And everything we need to stand in the face of of this trial and adverse situation to accomplish this dream, to see this restoration in our marriage, to see us not cower in fear and conceal and control and try to protect. We have everything we need to walk in the power of God. But listen to me, we must cash the checks. David, he's cashing the check. His brothers were too afraid to do so. Goliath is walking in the power of man. David is walking in the power of his God. Goliath boasted, am I not 
the Philistine. And David, little David, history says he was small. So when they say small in the Hebrew, probably five foot three, walked out in the middle of the valley and said, am I not walking in the power of my God, the God Almighty? Here's what I know, and sometimes we forget, there is no rival that can stand against the might of our God. Paul would later say this, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. Some of you are living in a safety bubble with your faith. David would pen some words years later out in the shepherd pasture. We read yesterday at Sweet Betty Blau's funeral, one of our sisters here at Grace who died of cancer but valiantly fought three times cancer and is with Jesus and is with her husband that died when he was 32 and she was 59 now. She was a single mom. Put two kids through college and raised them when they were seven and four when dad died. But yesterday at her funeral, Psalm 23 was read. You could probably quote it. You're so familiar with it, you've heard it in grade school. But has it changed you? And David would pen these words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no what? Because God is what? David would later write those words. Yet earlier, he was conditioned already to believe that, and he wasn't afraid to stand in the face of pending death because that passage says that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. By the way, it doesn't say that even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil. It says the shadow of death. Richard, let me ask you a question. Would you rather be run over by a truck or the shadow of a truck? How about the rest of you? Would you rather be run over by a truck or the shadow of a truck? In case you've forgotten, Jesus got hit by the truck of death. And because he took the sting of death for us, the only thing that hits us is the shadow of death. And because the shadow of death can't kill us, because Jesus overcame death and got hit by the truck, we will never be hit by the truck of death again. And we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because God is with us. You see, David knew that and would later write that. David delivers the food, by the way. It was an 18-mile journey. So he took his Partridge Farms cheese with him, delivered it, and 18 miles. Like, how many of you could just, could, if God called you, we need you to go. And, and some text, some scholars said he jogged 18 miles with the food, rucksack on him. How many of you have even positioned and, and conditioned yourself to be used by God in such a way that it would require physical strength 
to complete his will. May we never stand before God one day and he looks at us and says, this is how I would have chosen to use you, but you render yourself ineffective to be used because of your poor physical and health choices. David was conditioned for this moment. He knew he was a man of the possible God. Can I ask another question? How much more does God need to do for you to trust him? How many of you have just went into convenience mode during COVID? Oh, it's easy to just watch church online. Some of you, yes, praise God. This is your best choice. And I'm telling you, we got some faithful servants. Man, they are worshiping in their front rooms. They are teaching their kids. They are modeling Christ. And they are living out their faith. But there are some of you that have used it as a convenience. Listen to me. If you've lived in that mode, that's the condition that you prepared yourself to face that obstacle today. David had nothing to do with this giant. And so he responds. Look at verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out to defy Israel? The king will give great wealth to this man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage. By the way, I'm sure David took a peek at his daughter and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. By the way, just pause for a second. Practically, that's incredible. Never pay taxes the rest of your life. Like, that's worth a shot at it, isn't it? David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for this man who kills this Philistine, removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done. And basically told him the same thing. And so then his brother responds to him. He was angry at him. Why have you come here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep? In other words, get back to, the, to, the, to your sheep, little boy, and sing, Mary had a little lamb. Get back. You don't have what it takes. Verse 29, and David says, what have I done? Can I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before and what David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he will be, he has been a warrior from his youth. And David wants to say, oh yeah, I've been a warrior too. Lions and tigers and bears, oh yeah. In fact, he says that. David said, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. I've been conditioning my faith. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised, the Philistine, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David didn't wonder who God is. He understood the isness of God. 
And what do I mean by that? He knew that God is faithful. He knew that God is sovereign. He knew that God was with us. He knew that God is our defender. He knew that God is everywhere. He knew that God was all powerful. He knew that he would not allow fear to dictate his life because his God is and not was. So he asked, can I even have an opinion? See, our lives aren't measured by the breaths we take but by the moments that take our breath away. When's the last time you did something for God that it just took your breath away, trusting him? One giant step can save your life. So David comes out, look at verse 38, look at me, look at 38. Then David, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword and over the tunic and tried walking around. Do you remember when your boys were young or your girls were young, they put on dad's boots? Yeah, I, I remember all the time wanting to wear my dad's boots. And it was like trying to walk in them. And you walk and David's like, I can't wear this. I'm five foot three. And Saul, scripture says, was a head taller than anyone else. You see, Saul thought he could walk in the power of man to defeat Goliath. And, and David says, I don't need this clothing. I'm walking in the power of God. I've already been conditioned in my faith to see God come through. The God that parted the Red Sea is the same God that's fighting for me. And so read on. In verse 41, meanwhile, the Philistines with his Philistine, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, probably rosy cheeks. And he despised him. He was insulted by sending out this little boy. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, little boy, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Meanwhile, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Can you imagine? Five foot three of him standing there with a slingshot and five rocks. Hey, big boy, you're going down and I'm gonna chop your head off with your sword. Where do you get courage like that? You get it in the pasture by taking steps of faith. by the way, why did David take five stones? There's all kinds of ideas. Can I suggest why he took five stones? And by the way, I believe from history that they were the size of baseballs. And if you got hit with a rock baseball in your head, um, you're dead. And when you're dead, you're not good for nothing. And so he armed himself with five. Why? Because he was a smart hunter. And if you've ever gone hunting, and I have, I don't hunt with one bullet. I'm not Barney Fife. (laughs) My clip is loaded. And I have extra ammo on me. Why? Because if I miss, guess what? Another one. And if I hit and it's wounded, guess what? Another one. And David was familiar by using his, his slingshot in the pasture. There were probably times when lions and tigers came or bears came 
that he literally swung his rock out of the sling and he probably wounded. And if you've ever tried to get a wounded bear, I shot a bear one time in Alaska. And listen to me, you know my guide told me when I shot that bear and we went tracking for him? He said, listen, Jim, he said, this isn't like tracking a deer. He said, when you shoot a bear and it's wounded, it tracks you. So he took another stone. Why? Because in case he wasn't wounded, if the Goliath wasn't killed, he was ready to throw another one at him. He was prepared for the battle. So what's he do? He hits him, by the way. Have you ever wondered why in your flannel graph there was a picture of the armor bearer? Like, where was he? What does an armor bearer do? He's supposed to take the shield when a sword or stone is thrown at the Philistine and block it. So he was supposed to see it coming, and guess what? Deflect it. But here's what my Bible and your Bible says. No weapon formed against me will prosper. God is never deterred by man and his weapons. The champion hero was dead and the people fled in the fear of the possible God. David's courage elevated his witness and platform to be used by God. The first step back in 2021 will require you to be vulnerable. And as you look at this word, it's purposely in lowercase and large case for a reason. In order to be used by God in his strength, my Bible and your Bible says when we are weak, he is what? Strong. In order to find victory this coming year and tap into the power of God, we have to admit, God, we can't do it any longer concealing. I've tried controlling and protecting on my own. I need your help. And when we admit we need his help, he is able. God has already won your battle in 2021. But... We must cash the check. God has already moved mountains for us, but we must cash the check. God has already given us breakthrough, but we must cash the check. God has already done the impossible, but we must cash the checks. Lord, I am praying that this just isn't another good story that we're more familiar with and we learn some more facts. I'm praying that we move from kindergarten and we graduate. I'm praying that we walk in your power and your authority. I'm praying that we allow you to do the impossible in our lives this year. And I'm praying that we will remind ourselves that we are a people of the possible God so that all of our fear we can turn into praise. Shake off despair and sing out your name. A victory dance, I will dance out in faith. I will crush disappointment and break every chain. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.